0: I didn't know whether to sit or stand. Our staff was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and the person on the platform said, if you are a church planter, would you stand? I thought, well, am I a church planter? I mean, that was ten years ago we started the church. I don't know if I really qualify still as a church planter, and so I just stayed in my seat. And then the gentleman said, if you are an established church pastor would you stand? And I thought, well, are we an established church? We're 10 years old. I don't know if that counts as established church. We're still kind of young, and so I just just stayed seated. We're in that kind of weird in-between category. Are we a church plant, or are we an established church? And the answer is yes. We had a brand new start in September of 2002, but now we're 10 years old, and that's what we're celebrating this week, 10 years of God's faithfulness to our church and to help us to to respond to what God has done here. I want us to look in the book of Nehemiah, in your Old Testament, book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. I want us to take some cues from the Jewish people at a major moment in their history and see how they responded and learn from them and maybe apply some principles as to how we ought to respond to what God has done in our church. Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. I want to ask you this evening, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 Bible says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of the month Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For now, watch this last phrase they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful today for this. Privilege to gather together to worship you we're so grateful for your presence here we're so grateful for the power of the word which speaks into our lives with such clarity and and um, conviction i pray lord that you would use your word to to just mold us and make us into who you want us to be lord i ask you to establish my footsteps in your word for we ask and pray it in jesus name amen thank you you may be seated The book of Nehemiah was named after a Jew by that name who lived in the Persian capital of Susa in 445 B.C. You say, wait, how did a Jew get to Persia? Well, uh, in the 500s B.C., God used the Babylonian Empire as an instrument of judgment against his people, the Jews. They had rebelled against him. They had turned their back against uh, God or turned their back to God, and so God sent the Babylonian Empire, fierce warriors to overthrow Jerusalem. The Babylonians destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls around the city, and then took thousands of Jews with them into exile or into captivity. They took them back to Babylon to serve as forced laborers or slaves. Uh, About 50 years later, the Jews were living there in Babylon. God uh, raised up another empire called the Persian Empire, and the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. And then God moved on the heart of the Persian king to allow the Jews to begin to return back to their homeland, uh, centered around Jerusalem. And uh, he, he sent them to rebuild their temple. You can read about that in the book of Ezra. So the Jews start returning back by the thousands to rebuild their temple in that great city. Well, after some time, the temple had been rebuilt, but the work in Jerusalem that needed to be done was not done. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah was living in Susa, the Persian capital, and he was serving as a cupbearer to the king, a very important position, and uh, some Jews came from Jerusalem with this news. The walls around Jerusalem were in shambles, and they needed to be rebuilt, and, and this grieved Nehemiah's heart, and that day and time, without walls and gates, a city was open to attack and open to ridicule. And Nehemiah was concerned about the reputation of their God. So Nehemiah has this burden, this vision to go back to, to Jerusalem and lead the Jews to rebuild the walls around that city. And And God moves through remarkable ways to allow him to go back and to allow him to lead them to rebuild the walls. We see here in verse 15 that they rebuild the, rebuilt the walls in 52 days. A remarkable feat. And... And even the, the, the people who were enemies of the Jews saw this and thought, wow, somebody's helping them. God is with them. they recognize this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So what I want to do is I want to look at how the Jews, led by Nehemiah, responded to God's great work among them. God did something great among the Jewish people. He did something great for the Jewish people. And I want you to see how they responded. We can learn from how they responded and take our cue from them. So I want to give you three things that we ought to do when God does great things. And there's no sermon notes uh, tonight. We'll have those back with for you when we get back in 1 Samuel next week. So just tonight you sit back, Maybe you may want to jot these things down. But number one, when God does great things, we ought to recognize His hand. Recognize His hand. It says there in verse 16, they recognize the enemies of God, the enemies of the Jews, They recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I mean, this work was so significant, so dramatic, that the people could not deny that God had helped them. And the help of God, the hand of God, is a continual theme throughout Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, turn back to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. In verse 8. God gives Nehemiah a favor with the Persian king, and the Persian king is going to allow him to, to go back to Jerusalem to lead in this effort. And look what Nehemiah asked the king for in verse 8. He asked for a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. So here's the deal. Nehemiah says, well, can I leave your service and go rebuild the walls? And also, can I get wood out of your forest to get the job done? I mean, this is a big, big thing. And, and look what happens. The king granted them to me. Why? Because the good hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah recognized this was not usual. In, in the 400s BC, kings did not allow other nations to get stronger and to get better. But, but God's hand was on Nehemiah, so the king allowed him to go back. And the king even said, hey, I'll give you the wood to do the job. Look what happens down. In verse 17, Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, he inspects the walls, the the broken down walls, and he gets the people together, and in verse 17 he says to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them, look in verse 18, how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. So here's what he's saying. Let us rebuild the wall. This is something great for God. And you need to understand, God's hand has been on me. That's what Nehemiah is saying. God is helping us here. He recognized that. And all throughout Nehemiah, we see them recognizing God's help, God blessing them in this great endeavor. So we learn from Nehemiah that when God does something great, we ought to recognize His hand. If God's the one that does it, God's the one that deserves the glory, right? As I think about 10 years here at Longview Point Baptist Church, I, I, just, I just see God's fingerprints everywhere. I, I recognize His hand, His help in the life of our church. I'm just thinking about some, some key moments in the life of our church. I, I, I think about the first Sunday. It's as clear to me as if... It were yesterday, the September 8th, 2002, where we, we, we got the hardware store renovated and ready to go. And then we uh, put out flyers and we went into neighborhoods and passed out flyers, got a little free publicity from the newspaper. And, and the start date was September 8th, 2002. And we all gathered there for that first service. No one knew what was going to happen. We had planned, we had prayed, we had prepared, but no one knew what was going to happen. And I'll never forget that feeling of seeing cars drive up and park and families get out and begin to walk into church. And we began to look at each other and say, people are really coming to church. I mean, they're, they're really showing up. And, and we were just floored by that. And that first night, we had 124 folks in that first service. And we were thrilled. And we just knew that was God uh, blessing uh, our church. It was His hand upon us. And then that first year, had a lunch with a church member and he rolled out a, a plat that had a piece of property on it and he pointed to it. he said do you think this would be a good spot for a church and it was the corner of mackinville and by hell i said that'd be a great spot for a church i mean a lot of acreage it's it's uh, right at a major intersection uh, there's a, it's a future growth corridor there's a beautiful lake on the property i mean that'd be a great place mean if i had to pick a place for a name to start a church that'd be where i'd want to put a church building well he said this he said well, we're going to buy that piece of land and give it to the church that's year number one. And I said, wow. And that's just, that was unsolicited. That, that was just God doing something in the life of our church. The next year, year number two, actually this morning I said it was year number one, but I got it wrong. And this, this day of political speeches, Claire's my fact checker. And uh, she said, wait, what you just said was happened in year number two, not year number one. She said she knew because Cameron was in the story, and Cameron wasn't in the story in year number one. So anyway... Year number two, year number two after Cameron was born, I had a, uh, a gentleman who's not a member of our church invite me and Claire to lunch, and we went to their house for lunch, and Cameron was a little guy. We sat him on a blanket. He was playing with toys, and we just began to talk and converse. And here's what he said to me. He said, he said, Wade, he said, I want to give your church $2 million to build a family life center in memory of my mother. He said, just like that. And I said, okay. I mean, $2 million. That's a lot of money, right? $2 million. And so you, you take into account that we had been given the land and we give $2 million to build our first building. That accelerated our growth significantly. Now, if I told you that I sat down before we started the church and planned all of that out, I'd be lying to you, and you would know I was lying. There's no way you could plan all that out. There's no way you could design a strategy that would account for for a free gift of land and two million dollars. That, that, that's just the, the good hand of God upon our church, right? He blessed us. And I think about so many other days. Our, I remember the Sunday we were in the hardware store worshiping. And it was early on. It was year number one. And um, we gave an invitation and 16 people joined on one Sunday. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, the, 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 the aisles were filled with people just coming forward, wave after wave, to join our church. And we're thinking... Wow, God is really doing something here. I remember the Sunday when I was uh, privileged to baptize 20 people at once. 20 folks at one time and just seeing God work through changed life after changed life. I, I didn't know that was going to happen when we started the church. Nobody did. We didn't plan that out. God had, had his hand upon our church. I could never have a vi- envisioned when we started the church that within 10 years we would have given... Almost seven hundred thousand to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions as a part of listen to this. Two million, eight hundred thirty-five thousand seven hundred twenty-four dollars to missions. In ten years, you, touched by the hand of God, have given almost three million dollars to missions. That's incredible. And, and that's not something that we could have accounted for. That, that's, just, that's just God working in a group of people. That's God placing his hand upon the church. I never could have imagined that in our, by our ninth Easter Sunday, we would have had 1,000 worshipers on Resurrection Day to worship Jesus. I never could have fathomed that. I never could have imagined that within 10 years, we would have planted three churches and, and be working on our fourth. I never could have imagined that we would have in ten years sent people to five continents on mission trips and have four couples leave our church to plant their lives for an extended time in another country. I could tell you I had all that planned out, but I'd be lying. It's just the good hand of God upon our church. So when God does something great, He does something great here at Longview Point, it's it's good to just stop And stand back and recognize his hand. Recognize God's goodness and grace in the life of our church. Let me give you this statement. I want you to walk away with this. When great things happen, the one who makes those great things happen deserves all of the glory. Let me say it again. When great things happen, the one who makes those great things happen deserves all of the glory. So we repeat today what we have sung all throughout the day. To God be the glory, great things happen. He has done. When God does great things, we need to recognize His hand. But secondly, when God does great things, we need to worship in His presence. Worship in His presence. I love how the people respond to God helping them rebuild the walls. They worship. You say, how do you worship in God's presence? Let me give you three things. First of all, you worship by taking His word seriously. Look in chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8. Look what it says in verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 1. As after the wall is finished, all the people gather as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand and all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. You know what they're saying here? In, in, in recognition of God blessing them, they got everybody together and they just read the Bible. There's a novel concept. Just, just read the Bible. They were just reading God's word. And God was moving with power. Look what happens in verse 4. Ezra the scribe, Stood at a wooden podium. By the way, that's a biblical rationale for a pulpit. All right? Stood at a wooden podium. I was kidding on that, y'all. Stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. Look in verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Watch this. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. You can learn from this, Baptist. Amen, amen. While lifting up their hands... And they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their face to the, to the ground. Think about what's happening here. He's reading the Bible. The people are raising their hands, saying, Amen, Amen. And they're getting on their face before God. I mean, they are worshiping in God's presence. And look what it says in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So what they're doing is just reading the Bible and explaining it. They're preaching, expository preaching. And they're taking God's Word seriously. As God has done something great for them, they want to just get into God's Word and and, and build their nation on God's Word. I believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons God has blessed the way that He has here is because of the commitment of you as a people to to build ministry on the Word of God. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, truth with no mixture of error, our final authority for faith and practice, and we build everything we do upon the firm foundation of the Bible. And if we're wise, we'll continue to do that, right? We have no other, no other authority, no other foundation. The Word of God is our authority. And as God has done something great, we want to continue to take His Word seriously. But secondly, you worship in His presence by recounting God's faithfulness. Look in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, look in verse 5, and the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pedathiah, said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all, blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. So, God, you're great. You've created everything. Look in verse 7. You are the Lord God, who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the Perizzite, of the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, to give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise For you are righteous. He said, you created a people from Abraham's descendants called the Jews. And you gave them a land to live in. Then look at verse 9. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground. And their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. You know what they're saying here? They're just recounting all the great things God had done for the Jews. As we think about what God has done for us, we would be wise to step back and just recount God's faithfulness to our church. By the way, I believe this is a lost art, passing down to generations what God has done. Uh, Today, I don't know if you noticed or not, we... We did not have children's church because we thought it was important for our kids to be in the worship service to hear the great things God has done at Longview Point. We want our, our, we want our younger generations to understand that, to understand where we came from and what God has done here. And all throughout the Bible we see them, after God does something great, setting up a, some, sort of, some sort of mouse on some sort of, of pillar to remember what God has done. We need to recount God's faithfulness, talk often about what God has done for us as individuals, what God has done for us as families, what God has done for us as a church family. We worship in his presence by recounting God's faithfulness. But third, we worship in his presence with joyful celebration. Turn to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Verse 27. Verse 27. We've seen the biblical justification for a pulpit. Now we're going to see the biblical justification for music ministry. You ready? Look at verse 27. Now the dedication of the wall, they're having this service to dedicate what God has done. And the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, watch this, with hymns of thanksgiving and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Some people say, oh, I don't like percussion in my church. I don't like stringed instruments. Well, percussion, string instruments, right there. That's a whole other sermon. Though. All right. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites. Look in verse 30. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people the gates and the wall. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed how many choirs? Two great choirs. This passage gives Joey revival, all right? Two great choirs. The first proceeding to the right on top of the wall toward the refuge gate. Look in verse 38. The second choir proceeded to the left while I followed them with half of the people on the wall. So here's what he did. He sent one group over to the right, one group to the left, so that their voices are surrounding Jerusalem, and they began to sing songs of praise. Can you imagine what that sounded like, them just lifting up God's name as they dedicate the wall? Look in verse 43. Here's what it was like. On that day... They offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced, watch this, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. They were so exuberant and passionate in their praise, the surrounding countryside heard them worshiping God. Wouldn't it be something if we were that excited about Jesus? That we were so passionate about Jesus and we loved our church to such a degree that people saw the joy of the Lord in our lives and heard the joy of the Lord coming from our lips. What if our worship was so passionate it was contagious? They worshiped with joyful celebration. Can I ask you a question? Are you excited about your church? Do you love your church? I hope you love your church. I really. I don't want you just to like Longview Point or think Longview Point's good. I want you to love your church. Do you love your church? Are you excited about your Savior? Do you still love Jesus? Do you, as we heard earlier in song, do you still remember the day he saved you? Do you remember what that was like when he, he intervened in your life and he changed you? and transformed you and washed away your sins by his blood you remember what that was like you still love Jesus they were passionate about what God had done for them they worshiped in his presence so as God has done great things for us at Lawview Point, we recognize his hand and we worship in his presence that's what this weekend's about we are worshiping and celebrating what God has done but there's a third truth I want to give you when God does great things We need to remember what's important. Recognize his hand, worship in his presence, but third, remember what's important. Refocus on the main thing, recommit to what is most important. Look in chapter 9, verse 38. Very interesting passage here. Chapter 9, verse 38. Now remember, all of chapter 9 is a recounting of God's faithfulness to, his, to the Jewish people. In verse 38, they say, now because of all this, because of all you've done for us, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. So they are getting ready, listen, to make a contract with God in writing. Sometimes I wonder if we passed around a contract with God, I wonder how many people would put their name on the dotted line. He said, wait, what did the contract consist of? Well, look what it says in verse 28 of uh, chapter 10. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all all those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. So they enter into a contract with God. God, we're going to obey all of your commandments, and if we don't do it, will you curse us? (laughs) That's pretty serious, isn't it? Would you be willing to sign on that dotted line? God, I'm so committed to you that if I don't do what I'm telling you I'm going to do, if I don't obey you, I want you to curse my life serious business. What, you know what they're doing? They're refocusing on what's most important. God had done something great and now we see their priorities falling into line with their God. They're remembering what's truly important. Now, this weekend, 10 year anniversary is a great time for us to stop and look back and recognize God's hand and celebrate God's faithfulness but more importantly, it's a time to look forward. It's a time for us to to remember what's most important. It's a time for us to recommit to what is most important. In this text, it says they enter into a contract saying, we're going to obey your commandments, God. Well, let me just sum up some commandments for you. I, I, as a matter of fact, let me give you three commandments that I, I want to ask you as a church to recommit to. You ready? Just three. And the reason I'm only giving you three is because these three cover all the rest of the commandments. All right? So let me give you just three commandments. You may want to jot these down in your Bible or somewhere. Three commandments that I want you to recommit to obeying, as a family of faith. Commandment number one comes from the lips of Jesus. In Matthew 22, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So, commandment number one is love God. I'm asking you as a church family, as we celebrate what God has done, as we step into the next ten years, I'm asking you to recommit... To loving God supremely. To loving God preeminently. Because here's what I know based upon the Bible. People that do a bunch of religious stuff without a heart that loves the Lord is an offense to God. God is not looking for people that are just busy. He's looking for people that serve Him from an overflow of love for Him. Big difference, right? And it's easy over 10 years to maybe lose sight of the fact that we ought to, first of all, love our God. So will you recommit today, as we launch into the future, will you recommit to loving the Lord with all that you are? Here's commandment number two. Will you recommit to loving your neighbor as yourself? That's what Jesus said, the great commandments are, right? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What would happen if Longview Boy Baptist Church would just unleash love in our community and just, just care for folks and help the hurting and mend the broken and share hope with the hopeless? What would happen if we just loved our neighbor as ourself? Will you recommit to the second of the great commandments. Will you recommit to loving other folks? This speaks of your vertical love, loving God, and your horizontal love, loving other people. And then third, the third commandment I want you to recommit to is the last commandment we have from Jesus before he ascends to the Father. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Will you recommit, listen to me, will you recommit to making disciples? Say to God, God, use my life to get the gospel into other people's lives so they can be saved and reconciled to you. And then use my life to help believers in you grow in their faith to mature in their faith so that they can grow to a point where they can reach out and bring others into the kingdom themselves. It's just that simple. We're called to make disciples. Is your life characterized by making disciples? Sharing the gospel. Helping people grow in their faith. Expanding His kingdom. Is your life characterized by that? Will you recommit today? Will you recommit to obeying the great commission. God, use my life to make disciples. You see, we have a lot of work left to do, don't we? God has been so good to us in these 10 years and has blessed us greatly, but can I just tell you this? There are still thousands of people all around us that are lost and far from Jesus and unchurched. Millions in our nation, billions in our world. We don't have the luxury of taking some time off and just sitting around patting each other on the back and resting on our laurels. We celebrate, but we move forward with urgency. And we, on this day, recommit, we remember what's important. Loving God, loving others, making disciples. Let's don't miss this day. The main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing for the glory of our great God.